This past December, while mourning and sorrowing with some new friends and with some longer-term friends that were going through some painful circumstances, we sang and I, I listened to in my truck the, the words to O Holy Night, and I put a, quite a bit of thought into the words, and, and I want to read them for you because they've pushed me some. So I will read some words to O Holy Night. Uh, has a phrase, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And it goes on to say, Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And as I thought about those words, certainly the first phrase is absolutely true. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Sin and guilt and the, and the, the just judgment is, is very, very clear to God's children. But how about some of these other phrases? How about a phrase like, all oppression shall cease? Has that happened? How about a phrase like, how does the weary world really rejoice? So the question I have for us today is, what benefits have been given by God in sending his son into the world? So you're shoved out of line while waiting to get out of the airport at Kabul because you're littler than the other people and then you don't get out. Or your house is stolen because you have a relative working for the U.S. Embassy and, well, that's it for you. And you might say, well, those are Muslims. How, how about Christians? You know, how, how do Christians see this? And I will say, Christian that's here today is your wearying over. Or might, you might say, well, maybe these are just spiritual blessings. They're not physical blessings. So the question I want to answer is, what did God accomplish by sending his son Jesus? What can we hang on to when oppression and personal pain and armies killing civilians and armies attacking other people? What, how can we and what can we hang on to when evil is alive and well? There's two promises that God gives in the midst of all kinds of turmoil in John chapter 5. He promises two things. He promises life for the dead. And he promises a future time when cemeteries are going to be empty. We're going to look at those two promises today. We'll start in verse 25. It says, Truly, truly, Jesus says, an hour is, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So just so we can kind of orient our thinking in this, what would we understand of the Messiah if we had lived in Old Testament times. So, so we're living in the year, let's say, 600, let's say, for example. 600 years before the, the incarnation, the coming of Christ. What would we understand of the Messiah? And we could look at a, at a, at a bunch of, of messianic prophecies, but some of the things we might be thinking, we might be thinking in, in Genesis, where, hey, um, he's going to bite your heel, but you're going to bruise his head, and, and one's coming later that's going to be crushing this, the head of the serpent. If you're hearing, okay, there's going to be some conflict involved, but there's victory in this one who is coming. 
We could, again, look at a lot of different passages. We could talk about in Isaiah where he says, hey, this one that is coming, this Messiah that's coming, he's going to rule rightly with righteousness and with equity. He's going to be, he's going to be fair. We could look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, a, a very familiar one. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and of his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. David's throne, righteousness, God's doing it. And then I might argue with a little bit before we look at a few other ones. In the Old Testament, it's almost like we're given this little snapshot of what it's going to look at the coming of the Messiah. And then in the New Testament, it says, hey, we're going we're gonna to paint a mural on a wall. So you're going to be able to see that in, in color and in a much bigger picture than that little snapshot that you had in the Old Testament. And there's a future time coming at the end, in the eschaton, if you will, where we're going to be seeing like the hours and hours and hours color movie of all the details of it. So Old Testament snapshot. What we get to now with the New Testament, we get a, a clearer picture but an even clearer, huge movie is coming. So we, we continue with that thinking. So we, we continue in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Huge blessing, huge blessing. And then in Luke... Jesus says, let me, let me clear that up a little bit more for you. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus came to Nazareth, and when he, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, truly, this is fulfilled in your presence today. We get this little snapshot, and then we get the picture from Jesus himself. Another from that, we're going to see his suffering, you would be understanding or looking for in the Old Testament. Isaiah as well. We'll look at verse 53, uh, chapter 53. Surely he has borne, this Messiah, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And then Peter gives us some more and he says, let me color that in a little bit more. Let me tell you about Jesus. 1 Peter 2 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. that We might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So what would your understanding be of the Messiah in the Old Testament? What would you be looking for? Well, you probably would not be looking for two times of him coming. You would not see this initial incarnation, then looking for a, a return that's coming at a later date. Most of us would not see that. In the Old Testament, though we know from the New Testament, that is what is coming. Um, we would probably see 
that Jesus is going to make things right. We would hopefully see that he is the answer to our problems. But probably other than maybe some wounding words or things like that, we would see, hey, once Jesus comes, everything is going to be just as it ought to be. Life is going to be good, if not easy. And this is what we are to look forward to. But we know that that's simply not the case. We are still weary. Every one of us is still weary in a very real way. I got a text from someone a couple weeks back. There was a very good question. How should I think through life when I'm seeing what I'm seeing? And here's the text. This person says, where do I run to? Where do I see God's goodness when there's miscarriages? There's death of unbelievers. There's people born without legs. There's suffering everywhere. Where do I find the goodness of God in that? That is a terrific question. The question is really, why are we still wearying? Why are things not right at the incarnation when Jesus came? We're going to look at a few different things, but just to orient our thinking, I want us to know that this is not new to our day and age. Uh, Right in the same chapter that we're looking at today, starting in verse 2, there's words that if you've been in church a long time, you've heard it multiple times, you've heard it as a kid, you've heard it multiple times, but listen to the words and feel the sorrow of being this individual or this individual's mom or a sister or close friend. It says in John 5, 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, paralyzed, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. You know from the story that Jesus says, get up, take your mat, go, you are healed. But I hope when we read this text, we say this, this is not how things ought to be. This man, for 38 years, someone has probably taken him there in the morning and brought him home at the end of the day. Um, the Spirit of God did something miraculous, sometimes stirred the waters, and if you got into it, you could find healing. For 38 years, this man had said, maybe today is the day. M- maybe today I will not be, have to be carried here. Maybe I'll get to have a life that I would like to have. And he's surrounded by other people in pain and in pain and in pain. And we see this beautiful picture of Jesus healing him. But he he didn't get healed earlier. Others did not get healed. So what benefit is received in the incarnation? He has a phenomenal benefit right here. He's healed after 38 years, but not everyone was. So what are the gifts and benefits of the incarnation? I have eight things, and they're not the main uh, points of the text, but I I put eight things down that I think we will see as benefits, and I'm going to go fairly quickly on some of them and take much longer on others. There's certainly more benefits than these that you will be able to come up with. But here's some that I came up with here. One, God, in the incarnation, we are reminded that God keeps his promises, that God is trustworthy, when he says in, the, in our main text, the hour is coming and is now here, we have this promise of the Messiah, 
promise in Joel, promise here and promise and promise and promise, and we're receiving it right here. We look even at Pentecost with the promise of the Holy Spirit coming on God's children, and it comes at Pentecost, and they're preaching, and people come to Christ, and here is God working. God keeps his promises. He's trustworthy. Two, we no longer need to fear death. In our text, the verse I already read, it says, there's a time coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and what's going to happen. And the result of that hearing is those who hear will live. Well, it's not taking, talking about the, the physically, you know, I am dead and I am in a coffin dead. This is certainly the wording and thinking connected to Ephesians that we know so well. And this hearing what's going on here well, this is not catching an audible noise. This is not just, I heard something. This would be like the idea in a sermon. You hear a sermon and you're saying, this is from God. We're using the word of God. This is the purity of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God and the righteousness of God. And what does this say about me? I'm a sinner and I'm guilty and I can only make it from his mercy and grace. That is, that's what we're doing when we hear a sermon. It's not just, I was in there for 40 minutes, I heard a bunch of words. No, it's, it's I'm hearing it and it has impact on my life. This is the hearing when you're maybe talking or counseling with a friend who's in deep sorrow. And they tell you this story and you don't just say, yeah, I listened to you talk for 20 minutes. Okay, done. You know, are we done yet? The hearing is saying, I, I hear you. I hear the pain that you're dealing with. I'm trying to understand what you've been through, even if I have not been through that. I am trying to, to see how, and how can I communicate the goodness and the righteousness and the love of Almighty God, the Father, sent through His Son, Jesus, and in the Spirit, in this difficult circumstance. I'm hearing it, but I am hearing it. And that's the hearing that he's saying. It's really hearing and believing mixed together smooshed together. When it was Ephesians tells us those dead in their sins and trespasses in once you once walked. And then you go four more verses in Ephesians chapter two and it says, and he made us alive. Saying that every single human being is dead in their sins and trespasses and you cannot make yourself alive. Truly that is the work of God Almighty through the Son. God making dead people live this, uh, we live on a farm and we have a bunch of some cattle and some sheep. And if you have a hundred lambs being born, you're going to have lambs die and you're going to have bum lambs that their moms won't take. And so our kids have a fairly lucrative business of Craigslist selling bottle lambs because people will pay inordinate amounts of money to feed a bottle to a baby animal for a long time that in no way can they ever break even on this little situation that they have. But So the kids sell bottle lambs, and I never even talk to the people. The, the kids do it all, and they wheel and deal and all this stuff. And people try to get, people try to like, you know, bit them down on things. And the twins are like, I said 100, and that's what they're worth. And, uh... A lady came, people kept driving from all over, and um, an individual drove from a couple hours away, and, you know, she knew exactly what she was getting, and, you know, they're really healthy lambs and stuff, but we go out every morning and just check them, and there might be, if you have 130 lambs born, you might have eight or 12 lambs die during that time, you know, the mom, you know, they don't get born right or something happens. Anyway, so if I go out there early and the boys aren't out there, I'll just leave a dead one 
on this, you know, somewhere in the barn. Then the boys can dispose of it in one spot later. And um, I guess the lady came, and there was a dead one right there. And her little healthy ones she was getting were right here. And most of these people are a little more city-ish than our family is because our kids are kind of country. And um, I don't know if she said anything or not, but she got her healthy two little lambs that seen a dead one laying right there. Probably wasn't her favorite thing. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, my kids are fairly used to it because they've seen it a lot. But I will tell you this. If that lady would have looked there and seen that dead lamb, stiff as a board as they get, if it raised its head up and made noise or walked towards her after that, it would have really, really freaked her out, right? All, in, any one of us, right? And this passage is saying right here, not, not those who are struggling with sin, not those who are, who are like ill with sin or not doing their best with sin, dead. Dead can't be alive outside something miraculous happening right, happening right here. And that is what's happening. Hey, dead, if you hear and hearing with belief and, and all of that included, you can live and you can know. John 5, 24, the verse right before that one we started with says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, like right now, presently, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. And I hope you notice that. Those that know your Bibles well, you're so used to hearing these verses. But I hope you notice what passes from death to life. In the lives that we live, you pass from life to death. That is the pattern. Jesus is saying, I'm doing something opposite here. You can pass from death to life based on my work on the cross. And I will say to you, teenager in here, kid in Mr. Tong's Sunday school class, maybe longtime attender, maybe the first time here, you can have eternal life. You might be sitting in here as a believer and you might say, and think back with me, there was a time in your life when, when you heard a sermon, sermon starting, you shut off your brain, you say, I'm just not interested anymore. But you know, as a believer now, you want to hear, what does God have to say? There was a time when during the singing, the worship time, you would mumble a little bit or sing along a little bit. It was like, I don't know. And now, even if it's not done well, you are singing praises to Almighty God because you are alive. You have trusted in Him. You were once scared of dying. And even now, to be fair, we haven't died before. This isn't something that we're used to. So if there's some, if there's, I don't know what that's going to look like, I don't like pain, Give yourself grace in this. But as a child of God, we no longer fear death. Yes, the enemy, but not the enemy that has control over me because I'm going to be with Christ. So you today, whoever you might be, are you in Christ? Will you trust in him? The dead will live. Is that you? Think about that. Put some thought into that. We continue on. So God keeps his promises. We no longer need to fear death. We'll move pretty quickly on, these, on some of these other ones. How about a third benefit of the incarnation? Cessation of the sacrifice system. We have the perfect atoning lamb. John 1, 29. Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews 10, 14, by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever them that are being made holy. Four, one branch from two, killing the hostility. He is our peace, as Ephesians 2 tells us. Five, grace in an explosive way. So what are the benefits of the incarnation? Grace in an explosive way. And, and yes, we see grace in the Old Testament. We see grace with Noah. We see grace with Moses. We, see, we, we know there was grace even with those unnamed individuals throughout the Old Testament. There's grace, there's grace, that, there's grace. But in a, an explosive way, John 1.14 talks about this word, Jesus. And it says he is full of grace and truth. In an explosive way, grace is lavished upon us. Six. Benefits from the incarnation of Jesus freed from the law. Galatians 3.13, Christ freed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Almost 1,500 years being ruled by the law, falling short, falling short. It was a good, good gift from God for a time. Even now shows us our sinfulness, shows us how we fall short. Certainly, we are freed from the law. Christ fulfilled it all. Seven, a new heart. I will take out that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh, as Jeremiah 31 tells us. Deserved? No. Gift? Absolutely. Eight, this is a big one. All the covenant community is converted. So Old Testament would be like the mixed multitude, right? It would be followers of God and those that were doing the stuff they needed to do and they were in the group but they were not truly followers of God. And you could see a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt, but the, but the Old Testament was filled with that as Israel. There were those who were in complete rebellion against God. Even though they might have been circumcised, even though they might know parts, depending on the time, certainly knew the law, many of them. But in our day today, Jeremiah 31 also tells us from the time of Jeremiah, hey, there's a time coming when you're not going to have to tell the person next to you about the Lord because they will all know me. Well, that's really just talking about, that's really the New Testament church. That's not a church building, but that is God's, that is the bride of Christ. And Christ's bride is not a mixed multitude. They are all followers of him, a blessing of the incarnation. So those are eight blessings of the incarnation that I think we need to remind ourselves of over and over and over when dealing with pain for ourselves or dealing with pain for a friend or dealing with pain from a coworker, Hey, here are some. And, and I hope you go home and you, you write down a longer list of these benefits of the incarnation, but remind yourselves of these. And as we continue on in this passage, as we're thinking through this dead people living, and then in a little bit, we'll be seeing cemeteries open. As we're thinking through that, how is Jesus able to do these previous eight things? You know, that the dead will hear in verse 25, and those who hear will live. So how is he able to do that? Well, it talks about the self-existence of the Father, starting in verses 26 and 27. It says, as the Father has life in himself. So no one gave God the Father life. He has it in himself. So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The Son was not created he too has life in himself, then he can impart life to others. Um, and he, verse 27, has given him, that's God the Father, has given God the Son, 
authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Uh, just a few verses earlier in John 5, 22, says, when Jesus is talking, he says, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. The submission of the son to the father, this granted and given language, the authority to execute judgment. And then it has the son of man language. And many of us are familiar with the son of man language, but I would like to read just a little bit from Daniel, if you want to turn with me to Daniel 7, or you can just listen as I read. That would be fine as well. He says in there, he connects it to the Son of Man. He says, um, in John 5, as you're turning there, because he is the Son of Man, this can be accomplished or this can happen. So what do, what do we have going on in, uh, in Daniel chapter 7? I'm going to read a longer section here. You can read along with me or just listen. And just picture yourself, if you were Daniel's audience and you've been taken out of Israel, really Judah at that time, and you've gone 900 miles to Babylon and you've been oppressed and you can't worship in the same way and things have been really, really hard and loved ones have died and you've got these promises that in a future time things are going to be right, What does Daniel say, starting in Daniel 7, verse 9? It says, As I looked, thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days. That's another name for God Almighty, God the Father. The Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousands of thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. This, would be a, this is a sobering vision we're being given right here. This is, a, this is a scary place. Daniel says, I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So something is against God. And how is he going to fix this? And I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. How much power is connected to the Son of Man? Oh, a whole lot of power. Connected to this ancient of days, the Son of Man, his dominion is everlasting. Thousands upon thousands will serve, and ten thousands of ten thousands before him, and the Son of Man can rule, and the Son of Man judges. And we, in John chapter 5, should be saying, who is the Son of Man? It's, it's Jesus. This one who is humble. And he was born in a stable. And his own di- esteemed him not. And he was afflicted. But he has all the power and deserves all the glory and honor and praise that can be and should be and ought to be his. We can think back to John chapter 1 and Jesus is calling his disciples. This should be not too much before this time. And and Jesus is calling his disciples and he says, Hey, Nathaniel, I saw you. I saw you when you're still under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, How could you see me under the fig tree? 
And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And Nathaniel, an Israelite without deceit, would be saying, the son of man is messianic. The ancient of days enthrones him alongside and he is the one that is now here before me. Did Nathaniel understand that now? I don't think so. At that point, no. Does he understand it now? Absolutely, he does. And I guess I would say this. Most of us have been in churches 10 times, 20 times, 20,000 times. I don't know how you were raised. We're all different here. But I would say what this passage is pushing us is that Jesus cannot be and must not be trifled with. That one that can take the dead to life rather than life to dead, which is a normal pattern, is one that we should be saying, who is this Jesus? And what does he desire of me? And how do I respond? So, dead coming to life. Second point, Christ promises. Benefits of the incarnation. Christ promises empty cemeteries. Uh, Last week, last Sunday actually, Easter Sunday, uh, a friend had a vehicle that was stuck. And I drove a tractor over there to try to help get him out. And uh, we were in the, the woods of Ohio County. And this guy had a truck stuck at the bottom of a steep hill, kind of slidden off into a swamp. And it's on my tractor, and I'm kind of on my nose. And I I moved it a little bit, but I didn't do much. But while I was on my way there, we're driving. Like, you're in the country when you're at Daniel Woodman's little farm, okay? You are in the country. You drive through two different properties, cut through hay fields. Easement gets you to here. You're in the country. And I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, there's a cemetery right there. We stopped the tractor, Will and I, got out, because it's an old cemetery. And most of them are just little markers or, or stones that there's no names on anything. But it's, he's kept it clean, and you can tell where these have been. So I took three minutes, and I was like, I'm looking at all these. I found one name. I found um, an old man that died, I think, in 1914, and his last name was Cobb. Okay, And there could be... There could be no farms near this. This is four-wheeler trails back in here. There's no church. There's no house. There's no nothing by here. There's at least 15 people have died and are buried here. But again, only one name that I could read. Died in 1914. It's been over 100 years. And I, I read that and I thought, you know, at one time somebody mourned over this guy. I'm sure there was some type of service. It was, it's a very nice stone for over 100 years ago. Somebody really, really cared at one time. I'm sure Daniel has no knowledge of who these people are, but he keeps it clean just to be respectful. But there's no connection to it that that I know of now. It's on private property. And I see this cemetery and I say, what's God's plans for cemeteries? Because people seem to die and to die and to die. We all know that this is true. Look at verses 28 and 29. He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, will hear his voice. Okay, so do not marvel. One reason would be because do not marvel that he's the son of man. This Jesus is the son of man. So do not marvel at that. We've already kind of talked about that and tried to wrap our minds around that. What else do we not marvel? We should not marvel because the judgment of the world is entrusted to the son. We've talked about that. We shouldn't marvel because Jesus has said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and take you to myself that where I am, you can be as well. Don't marvel at that, because that's part of his good, gracious plan. 
And also do not marvel because caskets are going to break open in the future. And none of us can picture that now. And we have a tendency, if we hear the word tomb, and you think, you know, mummies, or you think, oh, Old Testament times or Egypt or something like that. But if we think of cemeteries and caskets when we read this verse, we are being told that at a future time, all, not some, all are going to hear. So a different hearing than we talked about earlier, because a hearing before is hearing and believing is life in the sun. This, everyone's going to hear, but... And everybody's going to come out, those who have, there's two groups, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So many of the dead, we will say, the dead in, will not listen or hear today, but at a future time, all will hear, all will raise, all will face judgment, all will go to eternal joy in the new heaven and new earth, with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, where all will go to eternal punishment away from the presence of God. No one escapes, these verses tell us. Well, we might ask a little bit there, is this some kind of work salvation going on here? So it sounds like if I do some good stuff in verse 29, I'm going to be okay. If I don't do some good stuff in verse 29, um, I'm not going to be okay. What's going on with that? As I remind us often, Most passages in Scripture don't give us every detail of every theological premise, and certainly this is one of them. Um, If you can think back to Jesus calling Zacchaeus, and he says, um, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today, and, um, and they're there, and Zacchaeus basically says, I used to do really rotten stuff. I'm going to make it right. I'm not going to do it anymore. He doesn't say faith, belief, Though we know that to be true because Jesus then says, hey, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. So make sure when we read scripture, we read it together with all the scripture, and and then we get a right understanding. That really, this is just talking about evidence of true faith, seeking to do what's right by the grace of God, because you love him, or evidence of an unrepentant life, not following him. So what are some of the benefits, quickly, of the return. We talked about benefits of the incarnation. What are some benefits of the return? Uh, I would say final consummation of the promises that we have in Christ. So we kind of have this like the, the already not yet of living in life right now. So we are, we are justified, but we have not yet come to final justification. Um, David Brionis, I, I read a little article. I'm just going to read a little bit of this to you because I found it helpful this week. Um, so what are some of these things? Well, well, we are adopted in Christ, Romans 8, 15, but we're not yet adopted, Romans 8, 23. So there's some, yes, that's who I am, but I'm not all the way there yet. There's, some, there's this time in the middle, if you will. I'm already redeemed in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, but I'm not yet fully redeemed, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm already sanctified in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, but not yet fully sanctified, 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm already saved in Christ, Ephesians 2, but yet to have final salvation, Romans 5, 9. I'm already raised with Christ, Ephesians 2, yet not fully raised, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Brionis goes on to say, we live in theological tension. By faith in Christ, all these spiritual blessings are ours already, but the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet ours. This is the life of faith, the assurance of things hoped for in the future, 
and the conviction of things not seen in the present from Hebrews 11. This is life between the times. So what are some other benefits of the return? Um, New heaven and new earth. He's going to prepare a place for us. Um, There is going to be a place and a time of no sin, no evil, no error, no sound that doesn't go with a, with a slideshow. There's going to be never a time where someone will hurt you or me ever again. And I will never say an unkind word ever again. No sin ever. Perfect fellowship with the Trinity. Communion. Amazing. So, so in conclusion, what do you miss Maybe I'd say it this way. Who do you miss deeply that's no longer with us today? It might be a child. might be a mom and dad. might be another loved one. I think every single one of us is thinking of one, two, or more people right now. As we think of that person, the last time you saw them might have been a coffin at their funeral. I want to remind you that if they are in Christ, and if you are in Christ, you will see them again. That sorrow that you feel right now will not be forever. You will see them again. The resurrected body will be connected to the soul. You will be with the Lord together forever, and cemeteries will be empty. And so what was accomplished Back to our first question. What was accomplished in the first coming of Jesus? That whole list of things that we looked at. But centrally in this text, the opportunity to, based on the finished work of Christ, to hear and live. And what is the command in O Holy Night? So if you go through the whole O Holy Night song, what is the command at the end? To fall on your knees. To worship. The result of all of that is... The dead can live and cemeteries will be emptied. And what's, what's the response? Do I believe in him? Do I trust in him? If you do not trust him, trust him now. But oh, such comfort of knowing that that cemetery at Daniel Woodman's is going to be empty someday. And the cemeteries all over, they're going to be empty someday. And God's children will be with him. And my response, worship. Almighty God was completely good and completely right in all that he has done in sending his son, and at a day we long for, coming back. Graves opened with our Savior forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know there are many, many people here who are hurting deeply. I know there are many, many people in here who have lost loved ones that just even seems trite to say they've lost loved ones. It's like their guts have been ripped out. And to a degree, they will live with that pain at a level until you return or until they die if they're your children. Lord, we hold on to your promises of goodness that even in a world of chaos and hurt, that dead people may live and we worship you for it. And may we be ambassadors for you in a world that's hurting and broken. May we be ambassadors for you saying, I once feared death, I no longer do because I I look to my Savior and he's got me in his hand and I trust in him and his way is perfect. May we be ambassadors for you even today. In Jesus' name, amen.